Well, you know, that's a really good question, isn't it? And it certainly applies to so many areas of life. And in fact, we're going to talk about that a little bit today. Dan, if you would come on up. Today we're blessed to have back with us Dan Arcy. Now, if you were here a few weeks ago, you know that, in fact, it was probably three weeks ago, Dan and I were on the stage, and Dan was telling us about a project that's going on in Venezuela where he and his family are missionaries and how God is working and blessing in Venezuela despite the problems of the country. And the country certainly has a lot of problems. We're blessed to have Dan back with us today, and he's going to give us a little update and uh, tell us a little bit about what's happening. But just to give you some thoughts, make sure you grab out of your bulletin your verses for this week, our text verses. You'll need those in just a minute as uh, Dan will read those to you. And uh, keep that handy, okay, because you're going to need it in just a second. Dan, great, great to have you back, man. So tell us a little bit, uh, just in case some people weren't here the first time, give us a, a, a recap of why you're here to begin with. Well, the church and ministry, good morning to everybody, first of all. Uh, church and ministry down in Venezuela has been growing incredibly, and we've pretty much maxed out our space to each new place we moved into. So we figured, all right, let's rent a place, let's start doing multiple services, and as we do that, let's buy some property and start immediately building. And uh, so we bought the property, and I want to say a quick thank you to everybody who helped in one way or the other, praying, giving. Thank you because we were able to buy an acre and a half of property, and it's set there ready. Matter of fact, Jess Curley, my dear friend, is wearing our Faith Boots project. And uh, we're calling it Faith Boots because a little girl was asked once into our church to pray for rain because there was no rain in the town for several months. And she showed up that night with her umbrella, rain boots, raincoat, and a rain cap on, and everybody else was in flip-flops and shorts, and they soon realized that she was the only one believing that their prayer was going to bring rain, and nobody else did. So I heard that story, and it really impacted me, Tom, and I just said, you know what, I'm going to put my work, my faith boots on, and I'm going to trust and start working, and we have, and uh, we've been able to rent machinery, prepare the place, get the ground tested, and all that with literally less than 10% than what it would have cost us. So we've seen God throughout it all get it ready. We've had the architects and engineers both offer their full services with no charge. And they said, Pastor, God will give the money. And when he does, y'all can pay us. In the meantime, we're going to work on doing that. Matter of fact, I've got the video. If you want to get a chance, uh, the video there shows what is going to be built. Yeah, let's take a look at that. auditorium will sit around 850 people, 550 to 600 on the bottom floor, and a little over 250 on the mezzanine balcony area. We'll start with the bottom first and then build the second part as money comes in, and I'll get to swim in during my services. <laughs> that building alone is going to cost 508000 uh, it's a 13,100 square foot auditorium. The first project we're going to do is building the gym for $130,000. Um, that'll have gym, kitchen, but it'll also be the sanctuary 
So where we meet in the meantime, the bottom floor is where we'll have our services, but we'll also use it for different sports, volleyball, basketball, and indoor soccer. We'll have bathrooms with locker rooms and showers and a full-size kitchen on the bottom so when we host our Christmas banquets or just fellowship dinners, there's a place where we can cook and serve right there as well. Then we'll go up to the second floor and we'll have some doctor's offices where we'll be able to meet people during the week and counseling rooms as well as a fitness center that people can come in. We've actually got some aerobics and, and fitness instructors that want to be doing that as well. And there's going to be a good walk path around the top, so that'll be open. And eventually, as the funds come in, we'll build a second building for $170,000, which will be our children and youth ministry building all the way, literally starting from our nursery to our infants and then to Bible land. And uh, Bible land is not your, it's like kid zone here the offices and storage units and all that on the bottom floor for the Sunday school classes. And then as we go to uh, that space will hold around 200 children on just the left part that says Bibliolandia. And then our preteens and youth complex, the second floor will have kind of game rooms and, and uh, an area for their services and their worship times and and uh, seating for the college and career as well, uh, being a different environment than the younger kids want to do. Younger kids want to hang around and play. The older ones want to actually talk a little bit. So we've done that. Then we're going to go to the far right. It'll have the offices. And this will cost as well 170000 It's a parallel building to the previous one we just saw. But it'll also have a Bible Institute. So let me show you real quick that left image the top right is the music room and the radio broadcast room where we broadcast once or twice a week. And then you've got a cafeteria section. Right beside it is the computer tables and the library for the students of seminary. And then to the far top right, you've got the actual cafeteria where we can serve people breakfast, lunch, and supper, even those that are students of the Bible Institute. And this is what our Bible Institute will be. This is our temporary one. Uh, the main hall and then the smaller small breakout groups and then we're going to have the church offices and restrooms and storage rooms up there as well all of this is going to be phase two and phase three three of construction and uh last but not least we're going to have a staff and guest housing and the workshop bottom left is going to be staff housing a family from the church will be living on campus just to keep everything protected a full size a living room dining room kitchen and two bedrooms then on the right hand you've got three workshops you know carpentry steel and iron work and uh, a paint area where we can do all the maintenance and upkeep for things in church as well as provide jobs for the people in church to be doing these things so we're trying to create a church that is self-sustainable and not depending on offerings or things of other people as well as our own offerings and then the second floor will be where we can host three pastors or missionary families to the left and on the right we can host their kids with bunk beds and TVs and maybe an Xbox or PlayStation or something in there and give give the parents some privacy while they're on these long trips 
and then we'll have a kitchenette and uh, a little dining area and a laundry room for them and just an outside sitting area just so they can hang out and just put their flip-flops and enjoy the sun. There's a lot of sun down there. Um, and then we'll do that little playground that you see to the right. I think we zoom into that. But then the perimeter wall, which is in part of phase one, $58,000, because if not, we can actually lose the property uh, because people in there will go in and just basically squat and you lost it. If they got kids, you cannot take them out. All this is going to be project one and project two will be beside it, Lord willing, for $11,000, we can buy that property and we could build the bottom one will be elementary and the far left will be high school. But eventually during the evenings, it'll turn into the full-size seminary where college students can actually sleep there during the week as well. And we'll have this big uh, farming area in the middle where students can work and earn their tuition and pay their tuition. And then there's three buildings in the back. One will be a soap, shampoo, and deodorant uh, factory. Another one will be a cement block factory. And the other one we're still trying to figure out which is one of the best uh, income creators. And we just want to build all this and one day in the midst of the hardest crisis Venezuela has ever seen people will see that God was able to do it above and beyond what we can do. So that is an extension of Miles Strait, and it's called the Gathering Point Church in Venezuela. Amen. Well, I'm so excited to see what uh, God is going to do there. I am too. So tell us just a little bit about your trip so far. Take well, it's been tremendous. We've been through many churches. I've met one-on-one, -on -one, and then I've had some business meetings as well with several people. And um, I'm, I'm surprised to inform you that there's been people that have been considering, you know, 401ks and retirements and things like that to give part of that to this. Uh, I've asked all of them to not give immediately, but to take time and pray about it because this is, this is big. Uh, what God is going to do is big. And a lot of people, we got some churches that have said they want to raise a Thanksgiving offering this coming November. Others want to raise uh, Christmas offerings <clears throat> in December. Others want to help out in the first or second quarter of next year. Others have said they want to help out and then go down and be part of with what they give. And so it's, <laughs> it's been amazing, honestly. So I'm, I'm going back to the mission field, just excited that I started this capital campaign, planting the seeds. And now we're going to see what God is going to be doing over the next few years. And so this week, you're, in, you're going to be going to New Orleans, try to get the, yeah. the passport issue Head finalized. off to Nolens tomorrow. Nolens. Yeah. Uh, and then from there, you'll come back here and then fly home, hopefully yes, sometime Friday, this week. probably Friday. I think we're flying. I'm flying back to Venezuela this coming Friday. Okay. Now, one of the things that has really impressed me is uh, the way God is it's really worked in your heart through Mark chapter 9. Hmm. As we sat and talked the other day, you sharing with me just how God had opened that passage up to you was just, it was inspirational. I mean, it, it caused me to go home and do studying and research in it too because it just, it so flooded my heart with thoughts that uh, I just wanted you to take a minute and share some of what you were seeing in that passage, if you would. Well, this week I was, uh, sorry, two weeks ago, I was up in Ohio and uh, a Sunday, uh, a Monday morning, I was at a staff meeting with a pastor and his staff and he asked me to share some things and that morning I'd been reading some things in scripture 
And uh, after getting back from the staff meeting and hearing things said and mentioned, um, one of them was actually talking about how he was so grateful to go back home and hug his son because um, in the past he'd not been a really good father. And one of the things that really hit me is that morning I just read Mark chapter 9 and I was missing, I am missing all three of my boys, Michael, Brian, and Andrew. Uh, I stayed up till about 12.30 last night on FaceTime and if you would have seen the stuff I did, uh, you'd probably not think I, I, I'm, I'm a pastor or a missionary at all because I was being goofy. I was tying items of clothing on my head and hiding out of the screen and, and my two younger boys were in their bedroom laughing and I kept, I kept lowering the volume to my iPad because I was scaring, I was scared I was going to wake up the kids, Stan and Amy's kids, and they're going to kick me out of the house for making too much noise. Uh, but I had a great time and it's, it's my only way to connect with them and my wife as I'm gone. And today's been exactly a whole full month being gone away from home. And uh, as I'm missing Mark chapter 9, there's a dad that's got problems with one of his sons and he brings him to Jesus. And that's just, that's just the best thing to do with anything we have in life. And there's issues, we gotta take it to Jesus. And in verse 14, he said, and when they came to the disciples, they saw a great crowd around them and, and scribes were arguing with them. And immediately all the crowd, when they saw him, were greatly amazed and they ran up to him and greeted him. And he asked them, what are y'all arguing about with them? And someone from the crowd answered and said, teacher, I brought, you my son, I brought my son to you, for he has a spirit that makes him mute. And whenever it seizes him, it throws him down and, it foams, and he foams and grinds his teeth and becomes rigid. So I asked your disciples to cast it out and they were not able. And, and he answered to them, O oh, faithless generation, how long am I to be with you? How long am I to bear with you? Bring him to me. And they brought the boy to him. And when the spirit saw him, Immediately it convulsed the boy and he fell on the ground and rolled about foaming at the mouth and Jesus asked his father So how long has this been happening to him? And he said from childhood and it was often cast and it has often cast him into fire and into water and to destroy him But if you can do anything have compassion on us and help us and Jesus said to him if you can all things are possible for one who believes immediately the father of the child cried out and said I believe, but help my unbelief. And when Jesus saw that a crowd came running together, he rebuked the unclean spirit, saying to it, you mute and deaf spirit, I command you, come out of him and never enter him again. And after crying out and convulsing him terribly, it came out and the boy was like a corpse. So the most of them said he's dead, but Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him up and he arose. That is a part of scripture I've read many times in my life. And if you don't mind recapping real quick with me, what were the things that the dad was saying were the problems with his son? Uh, some of the worst I see here is the dad's like, God, my son is being thrown into fire to burn and he's being thrown into water to drown while he's possessed by this demon spirit. Uh, he foams out of the mouth constantly. Those are things that jump out to my attention. I'm going, good gravy, that, that's, some, that's some bad stuff going on. But I think what captured my attention was the first thing he mentioned to Jesus that was the issue with his son. He didn't say, God, my son is being burnt to death and drowned to death and he's foaming out of the mouth. Would you please come help me? The first thing he said, 
He said, what are you arguing about with them? And he said, teacher, I brought you my son, for he has a spirit that makes him mute. Now, as I read down, I realized this is something he wasn't born with. He'd been born and he was a regular child. So I can imagine the first day, you remember when Cameron was born and I remember when my three and everybody can just go back to that moment when we had our new child or new babies. And, and when they start mumbling or saying things, it's that, oh, oh, it's either the papa or mama or nana or, or papa or, you know, pappy or, or doo-doo. I mean, Lord knows what they say. And, and then starts the arguing of who said what. And I think he said papa. No, it was mama. And that moment to you is just so exciting because you're, it's not a fight, but it's like, who do you think you recognize first, mom or dad and, or grandma and grandpa and whatnot? And it was, it's the fun of hearing your child utter your name or mention something familiar at home. It's just so priceless. It's so precious. And, and the father says that the son acquired this evil spirit over time. Something happened that they didn't know how it happened, but now... The first issue the dad says is, he can't talk to me and I can't talk to him. The first thing he said is, God, my son can't talk to me. And I don't know how I would have gone through these, this month without having FaceTime or Skype to talk with my boys and with Lucy. We share every night and sometimes it's one in the morning and they just got back from a meeting and I'm pretty much asleep and I hear bling, bling, bling and I know it's one of them. And I wake up and scramble up. I'm like, hey, what's going on? Oh, daddy, I'm sorry. We just got late from a really awesome worship time at the church. And so I don't mind stopping because I want to hear my son talk to me. And I can only see how dad here is going. Not heard his voice. And every time he opens his mouth and I think something's coming out, it's foam. And you know what? I, it just brings me back to my relationship with God. And sometimes... I'm in so much distress with all kinds of things coming around in my life and oh and this and God look at this and God can you believe this happened kind of like the, the, this morning's thing and I wasn't even aware of that and this is awesome how it kind of plays into it we're so worried about trivial things and superficial things going on we're worried about elections right now we're worried about things oh who's gonna win who's gonna lose and what's gonna happen where's America gonna be and all the dad is interested is in hearing the son's voice again. And I guess the best way to apply that would be God's greatest heartbeat and desire is just to hear our voice in prayer. And yet sometimes we're so worried about God fixing the world that we forget about him working in us. And he just simply wants to talk to me. And what's funny is he went on with sharing all the big scary things. And, and you would have thought... Jesus would have dropped his Bible and, well, he was the Bible, so uh, he, would have, he would have put everything down and said, excuse me, I got a job to do. You know, and done the superhero pose and say, I rebuke you. Uh, that's what you expected. And with all this stuff going on, you're like, all right, get it done, Jesus. Go, kill that demon. Well, he doesn't. He puts his, his psychologist glasses on and crosses his legs, pulls his pad out and goes, so how long has this been happening? I can totally see the dad going, can we talk about that later? Can we just get this stuff dealt with? Can you just stop it? Look, God, he said, matter of fact, it says, and as he approached Jesus, it happened again. And it's almost like the dad's like, see, I told you, it wasn't me exaggerating. This is really happening. 
And Jesus is like, so how long has this been happening? Hey, write that down if you don't mind. And I can, I, it's happened to me. I know it's happened to many of you here today. It's like you want God to focus on what you're focusing on. You want God to stop what he's doing elsewhere. And focus on this, Jesus. This is what needs your attention right now. As if we are at a level where we could actually debate and argue that with God. Tell him what priorities are. It wasn't even an issue to him. He knew he had the power. He was trying to get to the core of it. He was trying to get to the communication. And he says, how long has this been going on? It's been going on for a while, he says. And, and if you can, I mean, your folks haven't been able to, so the pastors and they weren't able to do anything. Your disciples couldn't do anything. I don't know if you can do any better than them. So if you can, would you help us out? And that question from the Lord was, I guess, in so much pain. If I can? Can I? Oh, why would you even consider that to be a reality? And you know, I, this month I've been facing a few things in my life that in other moments, sometimes I would look at difficulties in my life as the result of being in sin or being far away from God. And for some reason, we always equate difficult moments to being far away from God. Or we're in sin and God's punishing us. We're getting a spanking from God. And that's why this is happening. Actually, here in Scripture, I read that when the child was brought the closest to Jesus was the moment that physically he got to his worst. And it's, it's almost got to let me know not all the times I'm having a hard time is because I'm farthest away or I'm at the worst position I was at in my life. Sometimes it's because I'm just that one step away from being where God wants me to be. And Satan knows that. And so he's trying with everything he can to stop me from getting to being beside Jesus, to being where God wants me to be. And, and it's at that moment where all hell breaks loose on us and, and we go, wow, what is this? All I can say is, relax, you're almost there. It, it, sometimes it's just we're actually in the right direction and stuff still happens and God says, keep coming, keep coming. There, you're going to face battle, keep coming. You're almost there. You know why? Because after everything had been said and done, Jesus in an awesome commanding voice says, you mute and deaf spirit, I command you, come out of him and don't you ever come back again. That's our God. That's his power. That's the way he works. Yet sometimes in difficult times, we just assume, oh, we're just far from God. Why even waste time communicating? I'm just so embarrassed with what I've done. We should always be and all be embarrassed for what we've done. It's the work of the Holy Spirit, but it's also a reminder that keep going because we're getting that much closer to our Heavenly Father to where He can say, now I'm going to put you to do this. Sometimes we were far away, and now we're getting closer. In verse 26, and after crying out and convulsing Him terribly, it came out and the boy was like a corpse. So the most of them said, he's dead. Can I share something about this? Stop hearing what everybody else has to say. 
Stop listening to everybody else's opinions about you or, or circumstance or life or America or elections. How about we go back to what God is saying? He was the one that just rebuked the spirit and the kid was out like dead, cold. Oh, he's dead. It didn't work with Jesus either. And boy, today, I mean, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, everybody has something negative to say about something, regardless of how good or bad it is. And everybody's saying he's dead. But it says, but Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him up, and he arose. The end. Christ triumphant. His child risen up from defeat, from destroy, from ashes, from a rough time. This is my God. This is what he can do. And to be honest, today what America needs is not a solution in politics. Venezuela has been thinking that for years. They thought socialism was going to twist it all around. And guess what? They were wrong. They didn't listen to everybody. And they all said, it'll never happen here. Everybody was telling Venezuela, it's going to be Cuba all over. And they're like, no, it's not going to happen here. And it happened. And we hear people here saying, we got to be careful. Nah, it's not going to happen. It's happening. But the solution isn't what candidate we choose. That's important. But it is not the solution. Because what Jesus was focusing in the Father was the communication. He says, what I miss the most is being able to hear my son talk to me. I wonder what he misses the most in America. Does he miss his church, his body, talking to him? Instead of us talking about everything else that's going on wrong, just say, I'm sorry, I've not been able to talk to you for a while. That's, that's hard. It's deep. And it's, it's really something that God gave me over the la last few weeks in my heart. Man, Daniel, I appreciate that. Thank you so much. Yes, sir. Well, as I was looking at this as well, something dawned on me, and it came out of what Daniel was saying. And that is that I believe the dad was, as Daniel said, in great distress, great turmoil over what was happening in his life. I mean, you think about what was going on. His son was in this situation to where he was so vexed and he was so tormented day and night. Can you imagine as a parent? You can't imagine because we feel their pain, don't we? We know what it's like. We feel the hurt of our children. And this dad was bringing him to Jesus and he came and Jesus wasn't there at the moment. And so he took him to the disciples and the disciples said, oh, we got this. They couldn't do a thing. And the dad was tormented because of not only what was happening to his son, but what was happening to his family as well. I mean, can you imagine? Somebody had to be watching this child 24 hours a day. Some of you can relate to that. 24 hours a day, this turmoil was happening. This, this anxiety, this stress, this difficulty was going on in this family. And I can imagine that they were so tired. They were so worn out. And the disciples could do nothing. 
And then on top of that, the dad now sees Jesus and, and he says, if you can, would you do something? And what did Jesus say? If I can? Jesus essentially said, man, the reason he's not already healed is your fault. You've got to have faith here. And isn't that the way? God expects us to understand that it's him who does it all, but he wants us to be involved doing what we can. Not that we personally are going to change the outcome, but through what we do, God is going to use us to work in the situation. The situation for the dad was very obvious. The problem was he didn't have the faith in Jesus, and when he spoke, the, Jesus understood, oh, here's the problem. For us, it may be a little different in that we don't necessarily speak it, but God's called us to be involved in, in ministry here, and we're thinking, well, God... I can't do that. And just as the skit was earlier, the drama showed us very clearly that God's calling us to do something and we're just saying, no, I'm, I'm not going to do that. And he's saying, well, why are you calling me Lord if you're not going to do what I tell you to do? It may be that God's saying, you know what, I want you to be involved another way. And you're saying, but God, I've got this problem. You've got to fix this problem. And God's saying, yes, but first of all, I want you involved. And the lack of faith shows in that, that we don't, we don't be, we're not involved. We don't give the way God's called us to give. We don't serve the way God's called us to serve. And the lack of faith is seen in so many ways in our life. And God is saying, but first of all, before this problem in your life is fixed, I want to bring you to the place to where you acknowledge that there's a problem also in your own life. And you deal with this issue. If you don't deal with this issue, the very last verse, the disciples had talked to Jesus in privacy and they said, well, why couldn't we do this? And Jesus said, this kind cannot be driven out, but by anything, out by anything but prayer, communication with the Father. Maybe my lack of faith is seen in my lack of prayer. For the disciples, they thought they had it made. They didn't really think they needed to talk to God. They thought his power was at their disposal. They were taking it for granted. And Jesus said, guys, you better pay attention. My power's not here for you just to, to tap into whenever you decide. But it's based upon a relationship. It's based upon a spiritual journey that you take with me. And so today, I wonder if we were to be given some sort of a test and we could examine it, how would our faith measure up to what God is calling us to? First time Daniel was here, I read to you a verse to conclude our discussion that said, God said, how long will they not trust me? I'm sick of this. How many miracles I've done before them to show them that I can do it? And how long will they continue not to trust me? In the mind of God, it was an incredible insult. And I think today God is calling us to this place of faith. To this place to where we understand 
that his response to our prayer first of all takes faith boots to where we step out in faith and we do what he's asked us to do and there are times when God responds before our faith but I think there are a lot of times when God's just waiting on us to be obedient waiting on us to surrender waiting on us to yield our possessions so that he then steps in and says okay now your heart's right watch what I can do so how's your faith God is trustworthy absolutely 100% of the time trustworthy do our actions reveal that we trust him or is there work to be done?